power of God and in these turbulent times you never leave us nor forsake us we bless you Holy Father in Jesus name Amen well say it with me the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever Amen you may be seated you know, folks, we're living in a time that's unlike anything that we've ever seen or known in our lifetimes. And a lot of people are asking, what's going on? And if anybody should know, and if anybody should have the answers to that, I ought to be the church. Amen. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on. I'm going to start this evening, uh, today, <laughs> in Revelation chapter 12. Beginning in verse 1, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and, under, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. This is talking about Israel, the nation of Israel. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour the child, her child, as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God into his throne. Obviously, that's talking about Jesus. And the woman fled from into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. That's three and a half years. And there was war in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels. And prevailed not. Neither was there a place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil. And Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accursed them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which was brought forth the man-child. And the woman, to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. From the face of the serpent. That's a reference to three and a half years too. And the serpent was cast out. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water. As a flood after the woman. That he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened her mouth. And swallowed up the flood. Which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. And went to make war with the remnant of his seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Christ. Now, folks, this is something that John was instructed to share. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, it says that John was directed by God to share the things that he had seen, the things which are and the things which will have not yet appeared or will appear. So just like the instruction that John was given concerning the, what we know of as the book of Revelation. This prophecy or this instruction is covering past, present, and future events. The thing that I wanted you to, to make or uh, see most importantly was in verse 17, the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. That seed is not just natural Israel. That seed includes the church. So, folks, with everything that's taking place, with everything that's going on, the backdrop for everything that happens, everything that has happened, everything that will happen, 
Is the devil making war against the church? The protests, the riots, the violence of things that have taken place and the things that will take place, it's, all, it's not about race war. I know that's what a lot of people are pushing from the left. I know that's what they want. The defund the police stuff. It's all about the devil making war against the church. Now, the reason I single out the church is because the devil's already got the unsaved. He doesn't need to do anything to them. He already has them. And if he can stop the church from preaching the gospel, he can keep them. So his war is against the church. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus tells the disciples about the destruction of the temple. He says not one stone will be left upon another. And that, of course, happened in 70 A.D. But it says in verse 3, beginning in verse 3, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. First thing he said about the end times is beware of being deceived. Now there's one main problem with deception. You don't know that you are. The real stronghold of deception is that the people that are deceived don't know they're deceived. So he tells us to take special care. He tells us to make provision for ourselves so that we be not deceived. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation. That word nation is the word ethnos. It means ethnic groups. It means race wars and race riots. Kingdom against kingdom, that's talking about countries. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So he's talking about persecution as being a sign of the end. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love, of God, the love of many shall wax cold. Notice the effect of sin as an attack against the love of God in our hearts. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. The Bible tells us in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, it speaks of David amassing an, an underground or a guerrilla army. He's having to run and hide to stay away from Saul because the Spirit of the Lord left Saul when David was anointed to be the king. But these things were done in private and secret because of Paul's, uh, Saul's reaction, King Saul's reaction. And so there in the wilderness, it talks about how that God brought people to him, to David, to create this army. And one of the things that it says, I think it's about verse 32, 1 Chronicles chapter 12. It talks about the inhabitants of Issachar, one of the nations or one of the tribes of Israel, and it said, these men of Issachar had understanding of the times and knew what Israel ought to do. I think that needs to be us. We need to have an understanding of the times to know what the church should do. Now, one of the things that I'll draw your attention to that Jesus said about the end Notice that he said, many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. He said that many false prophets would arise. Now, the Bible tells us that there are certain people that we ought to look out for. And the people that it tells us to look out for are false prophets, 
false apostles, and false teachers. More so than anything else, the church is warned against those. It doesn't tell us to look out for what the devil's doing. It doesn't tell us about the power of the devil. It doesn't talk to us about our authority because the devil's power is so great. It tells us to look out for false, pro false prophets, false apostles, and false teachers. Now, what does that look like? I'm not sure exactly how John was able to identify or describe some of the things that he saw that were yet to come. Many of those, most of those really, tribulation events. But he was caught in, in describing things that he had never seen before. How do you describe a plane, for example, if you're living in John's day and the idea of flight is out, isn't even considered? In the same way, how do you envision false prophets, false Christs, false teachers, false apostles? We think of things like that, or I'll speak of myself. I think of things like that as being ministers that go squirrely. Now, folks, don't get me wrong. That has already taken place. I'm watching ministers of great big churches with thousands of followers absolutely lose their minds over this race stuff. Now, whatever injustices were done, whatever things are legitimately, have a legitimate need to be changed, the defunding the police and the Black Lives Matters thing can't be the answer. And in many cases, in many situations, you've got people promoting the things that will cause even greater problems as somehow being the solution to the problem that we have. I'm watching ministers lose their minds over some of this stuff. Now, that doesn't take into account the things that need to be changed and the, things that, the changes that need to be made. I'm all for making changes that are good. But what I'm seeing take place in many churches there's just no reason, there's no explanation, there's just no logic to it whatsoever. Paul wrote Timothy and said, preach the word. Now Paul was under great persecution when he wrote that. If you look at the things that Paul wrote to the church, he was honest and upfront about things that happened. But there's only one real place in the letters that he wrote, and it was to the Corinthians. There's only one place where he listed and itemized the things that he had had to endure. I get the sense from reading what Paul said that he did endure as kind of like a badge of honor. He's not complaining. He doesn't complain about all these terrible things that have happened and take the position that God was unfair for letting or allowing these things to take place in his life and his ministry. But when he does say what happened, it's almost like a badge of honor. He's listing the things that weren't sufficient to be able to stop it. He's listing things that he overcame by the word of God and by the name of Jesus. Now, Paul endured more persecution and more mistreatment than any people group on the, place of the, on the face of the earth. But he always stuck with the word. He always stuck with who we are in Christ. Of all the injustice that he suffered and experienced, he stuck with the word. If that's not a sign to the church of what things should be, then what is? Folks, everything is about the devil making war on the people of God. Everything. That's the backdrop for everything. And the devil has done a real good job of hiding that. I dare say most of the church does not realize that that is the case. But that is the case. 
So if we think about how things would have been interpreted or spoken of in days, and I'm talking about the times that the New Testament was written, in days where they had never seen it before. The thought occurred to me the other day, what would the Holy Ghost reveal or how would the Holy Ghost reveal or how would the Holy Ghost speak either by revelation or by vision? That's the only way that we have record of what happens in the future from the point in time that it was written. It's either words of information or it's a vision, revelation coming by a vision. What would the news media be appropriate or how would it be described from Paul's day or from John's day? In, in the book of Hezekiah, it tells us that during the building of the second temple, which was far less in glory when it was finished than Solomon's temple. But it tells us that the enemy of Israel, one particular guy was sent to speak day after day after day to the children of Israel and tell them that their God isn't sufficient to stop the, the enemies of Israel. It was a day when there was a world superpower that had swallowed up nation after nation, people after people. And they came against Israel, or this advanced man came against Israel, questioning the people. And basically he said, and his point was, how can you expect your God to stop the overwhelming force of our people when the other peoples that were overcome were praying to their gods to do the same thing? Didn't work for their gods. Their gods weren't able to sustain them or protect them. What makes you think yours will? And it talks a lot about how disheartened and discouraged the people got because they're hearing day after day after day after day threats pointing out truthfully that the other peoples that they had conquered their gods weren't able to save them and so people lost heart to a great degree now Hezekiah prayed and God showed him that that voice would be silenced and just by hearing a rumor of a war this guy left from being a thorn in Israel's side to go back to his own place and he was killed there by his own sons. There wasn't even a war going on as it was rumored, as he heard the rumor. So God can deliver in a number of ways. But I just want to throw a question out there. What would the news media be considered in Paul's day if not false prophets and false apostles? Now, I'm full well, fully aware that the Bible talks about a falling away. And I don't doubt that that has to do with a lot of what is taking place or will take place in the last days. But folks, it's more important than ever before that we take heed what we hear. We have to take heed what we hear because the word of God is the only answer. Amen. I mean, that's it. It's not the word of God and something else. It's simply the word of God. It's the only thing God has promised over uh, to watch over and to perform. One thing that I see is a sign of the last days is Nancy Pelosi quoting scripture. <laughs> I saw that she lamented a few days ago that President Trump doesn't read his Bible. Now we should take heart and recognize the significance of these things because we know from the days of Balaam that an ass can speak.
But when you see people that live an ungodly, in an ungodly manner and support ungodly causes, don't even recognize the, the fact that abortion is murder and then quote scripture. What in the world are you supposed to think? I'm reminded of what Paul said talking about the, the activities of people in the last days and the condition of their hearts in 2 Timothy chapter 3. One of the things that he said, I think it's about verse 5, he talks about people that have a form of godliness but not deny the power thereof. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Now in Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah identifies and describes what I think all of us would recognize as false prophets and what that looks like. Let me read a couple of verses of scripture. Verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 8, Jeremiah 29, verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken you to their neither hearken to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord that after seventy years will be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to his place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now here's what was happening. Israel went into captivity in Babylon, and God told them, had already told them that it would be for 70 years. They would be in captivity for 70 years. Everybody knew that. Everybody was aware that that's what God had said. But there were prophets in the midst of Israel that were prophesying things uh, concerning God that he would deliver them much sooner, that he would restore them back to their own lands. They were telling them things that they wanted to be true, but that didn't make them true. And so God is saying very clearly, the ones that are telling you that it won't be 70 years, don't listen to them. And then he tells them, I'll prosper you in the land of Babylon. Don't worry about the captivity for 70 years because I'll still bring my plan to pass in your lives. And folks, I think a lot of times, particularly those of us that might understand a little bit more about faith than other people and how faith operates and such, I think a lot of times we pray things that we want to be rather than listening to God or finding out from his word how he says they will be. For example... The Bible goes into some detail about how toward the end men will get worse and worse. Well, nowhere does the Bible tell us that that will hinder us. Nowhere does the Bible tell us that will keep the word of God from working for us. So rather than praying for circumstances and conditions to be favorable for us or comfortable for us, maybe the thing we need to focus on is God is with us no matter what happens. See, folks, the things God said are going to come to pass are going to come to pass, whether we like it or not. Whether we like it or not. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1, Paul said this. He said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. When we see the word seducing, I think most of us think of something in, in line with sexual seduction. But that's not what it says. He talks about there will those that shall depart from the faith. Well, this has to be talking about ministers. It has to be talking about Christians. Because you can't depart from something you never had. So where it says depart from the faith, it indicates that they were once saved. 
but they depart from the basics or the truth of that word. Now, it looks to me like, and you judge this for yourself, you've got the same Holy Ghost I do. But it looks to me like some of these pastors that are losing their mind over the Black Lives Matter stuff are clearly departing from the faith. I'm not saying they don't have good hearts or good intents. But the best intentions working against the world uh, working against the word is still departing from the faith. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now that could be teachings about the devil or it could be teachings inspired by the devil. I'm not sure which one it is. I'm inclined to think it's probably both. Now, what would seduce somebody? Well, folks, something as simple as wanting to be liked or wanting to be popular can be a serious part of, of seduction. I don't mean this to be a political criticism or a political commentary, but how many times have we seen Supreme Court justices that are conservative when they go into the Supreme Court, but then all of a sudden, because they want people to like them, they want to be welcomed into the elite society in which they are a part of, that they lose their conservative principles because they want to be liked. We saw a couple of examples of that just last week. So seducing spirits could just simply be taking action or changing behavior to be liked by others. Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So he's telling us that one of the last day events or things that we should look at, one of the hot button topics of the last days is going to be marriage. Now that could include gay marriage, it could include the LGBT, QRST, <laughs> whatever it is supposed to be. If that offends somebody, then bless your heart. It could include something along those lines. And then notice it talks about commanding to abstain from meat. I've always read this according to the way that the punctuation was in there. But in the original text, there is no punctuation. So let's, I want you to consider it this way. Commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created. Even some of the fast food places have got this fake meat stuff. And of course, it's all about global warming. Now, whether that's the entirety of it or not, at least we can see how it can happen. Verse 4, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine wherein thou hast attained. That doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. I just want you to see I'm doing what I should do. Now, why are these things happening? Why are things changing around us so, so quickly? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. Now the sleep he's talking about are those that have gone on to be with the Lord. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Verse 17, where it says, Caught up, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is where the church gets its doctrine of rapture from. The word rapture is not in the scriptures, but it talks about being caught up. It talks about being caught up. Now, folks, a lot of people sneer at the idea of the rapture, but you need to realize it's not a, it's not a brand new thing. It's not some new doctrine. And the rapture of the church is not the only rapture there is. The Bible said, Enoch pleased God and was not, for God took him. In other words, Enoch vanished. He was caught up into heaven. It was said of him, and the only thing the Bible says about why that might take place is that he pleased the Lord. So you find a lot of times, in, even in Christian circles, where people will talk about concerning tragedies, or someone dying prematurely, they'll use the phrase or the terminology, they'll use something like, well, God took them. Folks, if God takes you, it ought to be like the Bible says. If God didn't take somebody like Enoch, then we don't have a right to use Enoch's example or the phrase about God took him. God's not in the business of taking people until it's time. Elijah was raptured when the chariots of fire came down from heaven. Elijah didn't experience death, a natural death, but rather he was taken up into heaven. So whereas we certainly can say that it's rare it's not a, a constant or a common thing to take place. It's not some new thing. Jesus was raptured when he was talking to his disciples and told them to wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The Bible said a cloud came down and took him back up to heaven. Well, that's rapture. He was caught away or caught up. So the idea of the church being raptured Shouldn't be a strange thing to us at all if we understand the word. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, folks, all the things that are taking place around us, the things that we've identified and the things that we haven't yet identified and the new things that are come, don't think for, for a minute that once this Black Lives Matter thing dies down, there won't be something right on the heels of that. We're going to be going from crisis to crisis to crisis. And we know the reason. We read the reason in, first, in uh, Revelation chapter 12. The devil's operating with great wrath because he knows his time is short. I think we do well to remind him every day that his time is short. He obviously doesn't like that. One of the first people that Jesus cast the devil out of, the evil spirit in that man, said, Are you come to torment me before the time? Which means evil spirits know there's a time coming. And they know what that time will bring for them. Destruction. For that reason, I think it's a, just an outstanding idea to remind the devil of his future. What's he going to do? And everything that's taking place is to get our eyes off of what's really going on. What's really going on is that there is a war taking place in the earth. It's not in heaven. God won the war in heaven. He cast the devil out with the third of the angels that were following him. That's why they know their time is coming. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Now, the trump is not a trumpet. The trump is the voice that will be shouted from heaven that every ear will hear. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. He's talking about us receiving our redeemed bodies. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Now turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now we beseech you, that, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. He's saying, I'm, I'm encouraging, I'm, in, I'm beseeching you by the rapture that you've been taught. Now, Paul talked more to the Thessalonian church about the end and God's end time plans than he did any other of the other churches. Now, we only have record of the fact that Paul spent three or four months in Thessalonica the first time that he went there. We don't have any record that he returned there. We don't know. It's possible, but we just don't know for sure. But apparently, in those three or four months that he was there, the things that he told them about the end was of such interest to them that he corresponded with them about it more than any other church that he went, uh, had been to or written back to. Now, he wrote a lot more to the Corinthians than he did anybody else. We know the two letters that we have record of, but there are two other letters that he wrote that he referenced. But this is the only thing he says to them about the end. He said virtually nothing to the, about the end to the Romans. So there are certain people, apparently, to whom more will be given concerning the last days. God's plan for the last days and the things that are to come. So he said, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us that the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, apparently somebody along the way had written letters to the Thessalonians, maybe to other churches as well, we don't know for sure, claiming to be written by Paul and speaking things that contradicted the doctrine that he taught, undermining the foundation, the sure foundation of God's word that he built these churches on. So he says, I don't care if you get a letter that's purported to be written by me. If it, if it contradicts the things that I've already told you, don't pay attention to it. In other words, take heed what you hear. No matter what the source you might be hearing from is. So apparently, they had gotten some information from some letter that, that was purportedly written by Paul that the day of Christ had already taken place. Now, the day of Christ he's talking about here is not the rapture. The day of Christ that he's talking about is Jesus returning in his power and glory to execute judgment on the earth. That will be at the end of the tribulation period, the last day of the tribulation period. That's what's considered to be the day of Christ. He said, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now, the falling away that he's talking about here the words that he uses literally means to hold or to seize. He's saying that there is something that's taking place in the earth that's keeping the devil from doing everything he wants to do. But he uses a word that also means apostasy. Now, there were other words he could use. See, 
in church circles, seminaries, and so forth, people have been arguing for hundreds of years as to what will the sign of the end be. Will it be a, a falling away from the sound doctrine of the word? Will it be that a majority of people, Christians, ministers, leave the good, good word of God? Or will it be, as others say, this falling away is the catching up that we read in what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in the other letter? Well, if it was one or the other, there were words that could be used to specify or identify just one and not both. But the fact that he used terminology that could mean either leads me to believe that he means both. There's not only going to be a falling away from sound doctrine, there's going to be a catching up or a catching away of the saints. So here he says, that day shall not come except they're coming a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, talking about the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Folks, that takes place in the, uh, at the halfway point of the tribulation period, three and a half years into the tribulation, seven years of tribulation. That's when he identifies himself as God. The temple is rebuilt during the first period of the, uh, of the tribulation. And then at the halfway point of the tribulation, he sits in the temple, the newly restored temple, and claims that he's God. Now the Bible says that something's withholding these things. Remember ye not... Verse 5, that when I was with you, I told you these things. So Paul talked about end time stuff, even in the three or four months that he was there with, uh, with the Thessalonians. And now you know what withholds him, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. In other words, the work of sin is already taking place. But that which is holding back, is keeping the Antichrist from being revealed. Folks, we're not even going to know who the Antichrist is unless we see it in heaven. Now, some people will say that which withholdeth and that which letteth, and both of those are the same words. Some people say, well, that must be the Holy Ghost. That when the Holy Ghost is taken from the earth, then the Antichrist can, can be revealed. But that can't be right. And the reason for that, we know that the first thing that kicks off the revelation or the tribulation period of time, the first thing that takes place is the war where Russia and Iran and their mostly Islamic partners, allies, come down into Israel to make war against them. Within one 24-hour period, God destroys them And does away with a seventh of the population of the world by defeating these armies. The very next thing that the Bible talks about, the second event of the tribulation, is the uprising or the appearing of the Antichrist. Now, the third thing that the Bible talks about is the raising up of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Now, Jesus said, no man can come unto me except my Father draw him. The way he draws him is by the Holy Ghost conviction. So the 144,000 Jewish evangelists couldn't get anybody saved if there's no Holy Spirit on the earth. But the Bible talks about the great multitude that at the halfway point of the tribulation is caught up and raptured too. And it's mostly a Jewish multitude. There are other people mixed in as well. But from the things that they do and perform before the throne of God, it identifies them as a predominantly Jewish group, crowd. So it can't be the Holy Ghost that leaves. 
It can't be the Holy Ghost that's holding back the appearing of the Antichrist. Well, if it's not the Holy Ghost, then what is it? It's the church. It's the church. Now, folks, here's one of the most supernatural things I think about the present day. With the church as powerless, as divided, as weird as we may be, worldwide, it's the power of God within us that keeps the devil from being able to do his greatest work. Now, if we can keep the devil from doing his greatest work in the condition that we are, what could we do if we were united in the truth of the word of God? Well, there's hope. The Bible says Jesus is coming back for a glorious church, a church filled with glory. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Now he's talking about the Antichrist, so the signs and wonders and the uh, powers he's talking about are the things that the devil will be doing during the tribulation period, not before. These are not things that will happen in the last days before the church is taken out or raptured. These are things that will take place after the church is gone. Verse 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of truth, love of the truth, that thou might be saved, or that they might be saved. Verse 11 is something I want you to see too. And for this cause, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now, folks, you look around at what's going on in the world we live in. There are supernaturally, or how, how, let me see how I can find a better way to say this. It is supernatural how that much of this country is believing a lie. How can you argue with the biological fact that there is male or female? And not 31 flavors of sexuality. How do you argue with that? That is beyond dispute. But look at the number of people in this country that are believing something other than that simple truth. So we see some of these things being put in place. We see some of these very same things that people are choosing to believe without any basis, basis in fact whatsoever. It's going to be even worse during the tribulation. Thank God we get to miss that. Now I want you to look with me finally. And I'll close with this. Look with me to Haggai chapter 2. Beginning in verse 6 it says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and in the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Let me point something out to you, folks. We talk a lot about the example of Israel, the example that Israel sets before us when they came out of Egypt and came to the edge of the promised land. You know the story of the 12 spies? They go in to spy out the land. Ten of them come back. And say the fruit of the land, it's a land of milk and honey like God said, but we can't take the land because of the strength of the people. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, tried to steal the, mo steal the crowd. And they said, God's on our side, we can do this. But the congregation, the multitude, believed the ten spies who said we can't take the land instead of Caleb and Joshua who said we could.
You remember the story. In Numbers chapter 14, most people don't read, continue reading into the story. But in Numbers chapter 14, the people are murmuring against Moses and against God. And God says, this is Numbers chapter 14, verse 28. God says to Moses, tell them that as truly as I live, as they have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto them. Now that phrase, as truly as I live, is in italics. And the original Hebrew indicates that God is speaking an unchanging law. He's establishing a principle, a precedent that will never change. When he says, as truly as I live, one translation, or several translations really, not too many, but a few of them, translate, the, tr translate it as, this is the oracle of God. Now the oracle of God is very simply something that is characteristic or characterized by God's life. There are two outstanding characteristics about God's life. One is he is eternal. The second is he is unchanging. So if you plug that definition into what he's saying in Numbers 14, 28, he says, as, as truly as I live, this is an eternal and an unchanging law. Well, what law is that? As you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. The law of faith the law of the exercise of authority, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, all works on the words that you speak. Everything concerning God, which has to be and which must be received by faith, works on that principle. God deals with us as we, as we have spoken in his ears. Now, there are two places in Scripture where God uses that phrase, as truly as I live. One is in Numbers chapter 14, verse 28. As you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. The other is in Numbers chapter 14, verse 21. And God says to Moses, again to direct to the children of Israel, to give us a record of it. Moses says, another oracle of God, unchanging and eternal, is the whole earth will be filled with my glory. The whole earth shall be filled with my glory. Now here's, here's a question I want to pose to you. We just read that Paul talks about how that God will give the people of the tribulation that oppose him a strong delusion. This is similar to what he talks about in Romans chapter 1 where God gives those who are participating in and operating in homosexuality he gives them over to a reprobate mind that they shouldn't even retain the knowledge of God in their memory. If God's going to give people a reprobate mind after they willingly choose to join themselves with the work of the devil, <clears throat> not God's fault, but their own choice. And if God is going to give them over to a strong delusion during the tribulation period, would God do less for the church or with the church in the last days? In other words, would he give over a strong delusion to believe the lie during the tribulation than he would give to the church to have revelation so that people would see and know the plan, the purpose, and the power of God? I just can't see how that fits. Why would he give the unsaved into a strong delusion by their own choice? In the Old Testament, he talked about a certain tribe of Israel. He said, leave them alone. They've joined themselves to their idols. But would it make sense that God would do more in the tribulation against those who are against him than he would do for the church when he's already stated and specified eternally and unchangingly that the whole earth shall be filled with his glory? I firmly believe, folks, that one of the great things about the glory of God being revealed in these last days is going to be revelation. I believe people are going to have encounters with God that are going to turn things around. I believe that there will be revivals in places we can't even imagine how the truth of the word ever got to them. 
I believe that's going to be a commonplace stuff. And I don't just mean in foreign countries. A revival in Iran would be a great thing. I can certainly see God doing that before they join themselves together with Russia to bring war against Israel, giving the people one last chance. But it's illegal to preach in Iran, so how are you going to do that? I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about revivals within places like Apple and Google and Amazon. People that are exercising influence over primarily young people and leading them into a lie. I believe for revival in, in big tech corporations just as much as I believe in revival in foreign countries. I'm looking for God to do some tremendous things, not only in other places, but also here. So God says, again, back to Haggai chapter 2, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Apparently, the last days and the glory of God have something to do with the silver and gold of the earth. I take that at the very minimum to mean that God will take care of his people no matter what the economies of their countries do, no matter what the circumstances turn out to be. For whatever reason, he joined them together. Well, the Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. We won't be here for the tribulation, so that can't be where it's talking about. It wouldn't make any difference when we come back to, with Jesus for the millennium. Because he'll be ruling with a rod of iron. So in my thinking, that leaves only one other time period that's uh, applicable. And that's in the last days of the church. I guess we'll see. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. So here's God's plan. Here's what we need to know. What's really going on? Well, there's a war that's taking place in the earth against the people of God, the devil against the people of God. But not to worry because Jesus is coming back for a glorious church, a church filled with glory, a church filled with power, a church filled with silver and gold, apparently. Hallelujah. And then we leave. <laughs> That's how God has this scripted out. The last days are not the devil's glorious days. The last days are the church's glorious days. And that's how God's mapped this thing out. That's God's script. So when you see things increase, when you see evil magnified in these last days, lift up your heads and rejoice. Because of the glory of God upon the church. And the fact that Jesus is coming soon. How much longer can we go? Let's all stand. Father, in the name of Jesus. We ask that we would be as the children of Issachar or these men of Issachar that would understand the times that we would know what the church ought to do that we ought, would know what we ought to do and Lord I thank you for revealing to us that the oracle of God the unchanging eternal law of God is that the whole earth will be filled with your glory Lord, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yet we realize that there's a tremendous work yet to be done. We shrink not back from that work, but we willingly submit ourselves to you that as the church receives the glory of God, the greater one in us, We use that glory. We use that power 
as a conduit or a catalyst to bring many into the kingdom of God. We see the devil making war against us on every hand, Father. Yet we purpose to overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Because of the unchanging eternal law of God, as we speak into your ears, so shall you do unto us. Father, we pray for the reign of God, outpourings of the Spirit of God. We pray for outpourings of revelation that the veil of flesh shall be pierced and pulled back to such a degree that the truth is clearly seen. Father, we pray for those who are in authority. We pray for our president. We pray for his advisors. We pray that you would strengthen them and reveal to them, direct them, Father, in what you would have them to do. We pray, Father, for the people that work at these big tech companies. We pray that each and every one of them would have an encounter with you. You arrested Paul on the road to Damascus. Arrest them as you see fit. We pray, Father, that there would be a revival that takes place in these big tech companies. That lives would be changed. That what the devil meant for evil and as an avenue to promote his evil doings, we pray that those places would become sanctuaries of the power and the peace of God. Now, Father, we know that not everybody will yield to the prompting of the Holy Ghost or even the revelation of spiritual truth. And to those that would set themselves in opposition to the plan and the purpose of God, willingly joining themselves to the devil's agenda, we ask that they would come to ruin. We ask that they would be removed from their place. as a part of the glory of God being made known in the earth. Father, we know, because the scripture tells us, that we are to be patient under the coming of the Lord. For the husbandman waiteth and hath long patience for it, until he received the early and the latter rain. Bring forth the precious fruit of the earth, Father, by the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We pray these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Thanking you, Father, that you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all what we ask or think. So be it. Be it unto us even as you have spoken. Be it unto us even as you have revealed to us. So we worship you, Father. We magnify your holy name. We rejoice even as with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We count ourselves blessed to live in these glorious last days of the church. Show the magnitude of your power, Father. Bring forth signs and wonders and miracles that the world might see and know that you are the God that never changes. We bless you, Lord Jesus. 
We thank you, Holy Spirit, for directing us, ordering our steps. In Jesus' name. And if you can agree with that prayer, say amen. 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 Folks, we can't overemphasize this point. Everything is about the devil making war against the church. Everything. No matter what form it takes, no matter if it seems totally unrelated to the church or not, everything is about the devil making war against the church, the people of God. But thank God we have more than the devil has. Thank God the greater one lives in us. So we walk in victory no matter what takes place around us. Let's say that together. I walk in victory.